0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place, customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed, download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Squawk Box, here are your headlines today. The Fed keeps rates on hold with Jerome Powell hailing progress in stamping out inflation. But the Fed chair refuses to rule out the possibility of further hikes, with the U.S. economy remaining resolute.
2: Inflation has moderated since the middle of last year, and readings over the summer were quite favorable. But a few months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal.
1: Wall Street gains as investors bet the Fed is done, while U.S. yields pull back, as the U.S. Treasury slows the pace of longer-dated bond issuance. Investors Stanley Druckenmiller and Jeffrey Gundlach tell CNBC there are headwinds ahead.
0: The chart is frightening. It just, it just goes like
2: this. All this stuff is ahead of us because we didn't extend the maturity of our debt. This is the classic action that one gets prior to recessions.
0: The Bank of England is next up, widely expected to hold rates at a 15-year high. We'll break the decision at noon. And we'll also hear from the Bank of England's governor, that's Andrew Bailey, later today. In company news, Norvo Nordisk releases third quarter results this hour. Investors pinning high hopes on the Danish drugmaker's blockbuster weight loss drug. We'll speak to the CFO later this morning. That'll be a first on CNBC. And not to be outdone, the US unveils its own artificial intelligence watchdog to coincide with the UK's AI Safety Summit here in Bletchley Park. The UK Secretary of State for Science and Technology tells me uh, the rules must be made now uh, for the future.
3: And that's what we're trying to achieve so that we can then introduce the right solutions, the right guardrails to mitigate against some of those risks so that we can really draw down and seize upon the opportunities.
1: The US Federal Reserve has left interest rates unchanged but left the door open for a future hike. It said economic activity expanded at a strong pace in the third quarter, but Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the situation continued to be a riddle, adding that the central bank will raise rates again if progress on inflation in particular stalls. Powell also noted that a recent bond route could have an impact on economic activity, The benchmark U.S. 10-year Treasury yield touched a two-week low overnight. We dropped about 14-odd basis points, the biggest decline we've seen since March, uh, the biggest daily move. Investors expecting the Fed to hold rates again at its December meeting, according to the CME Fed Watch tool, which puts the probability of a rate hike at just 20%. However, analysts are split on whether the central bank will continue to hold rates steady going into next year, with a majority now expecting the Fed to cut interest rates in the first half. Fed Chair Jerome Powell told reporters the central bank was being cautious.
2: Given how far we have come, along with the uncertainties and risks we face, the committee is proceeding carefully. We will make decisions about the extent of additional policy firming and how long policy will remain restrictive based on the totality of the incoming data, the evolving outlook, and the balance of risks.
1: Powell went on to say the Fed will have more visibility on the rate path next month
2: it's fair to say that's the question we're asking is should we hike more it's not it's not you know and that that, that is the question and you're right that in september we wrote down one additional rate hike but you know we'll write down another forecast as you know in december
0: so it was really those comments that shape-shifted the market uh, across yesterday's trading picture really before the market the markets went uh, before that uh, announcement then by fair chair jerome powell markets perhaps looked for a little bit of more direction though they were headed a little bit higher and then firmly went higher then by the uh, time that decision came through the understanding then by the market is bets are that the fed may indeed be done with its hike in interest rates in fact by june next year you're expecting rates to definitely be a lot less than this there's more chances or more expectation for rates to be a little bit lower so that is the key question mark what happens to rates from here. How long is this higher for longer, uh, stance said to last. More than 1% gained though for the S&P 500 as well as the Nasdaq. Three days in a row uptick then for the S&P as well as the Dow Jones. The Nasdaq going up for what is a fourth day in a row. So all of these are up between 2.6 and 3.3%. Kind of giving a clear highlight then that it is a much better start to the month of November as well to close out the year. Uh, but, of course, a long way still to go before we certainly do that. On to the Treasury's front. Well, as the market went higher, we saw these uh, the yields go a little bit lower then, particularly the 10-year going down to 4.72. Around a two-month low in some instances across uh, over on that one. A two-week low, should I say, when it comes uh, to the 10-year. The two-year Treasury also falling below 5%. A level that's a two-month low for it there, 4.956 is where it currently sits. Then you're still seeing, of course, the inversion between the two. And that is still the market's one fear that does that recession actually still play into this market picture uh, at this time? Then dropping nearly 20 basis points yesterday for both the 10-year and that two-year yield. Let's take a look at the dollar crosses then onto that currency front. The dollar index itself rose to a near one-month high of 107 yesterday before then easing back and really retreating to around 106.60. That's after the Fed's uh, interest rates decision. But you are seeing then that it was strengthening, obviously losing just a little bit then with Treasury yields, also falling sharply then with the two-year, the five-year, and the 10-year yields all declining contributing to a loss of momentum then uh, for the U.S. dollar. And as you can see, that loss of momentum still remaining uh, at this point. We had sat, of course, at that 151 mark against the yen, now falling back to 150.42 at this stage. Is where we are when it comes to the Japanese currency, sterling, 121 ahead of the BoE's decision. The Asia market picture, well, rising today a little bit uh, higher thus far, taking comfort from the Fed's decision not to hike interest rates. A few data points there: Hong Kong's retail sales growing at their slowest pace uh, since January, 13% versus the 13.7% that we saw previously. Hong Kong Central Bank also deciding to leave their interest rates unchanged, tracking the Fed's move uh, along that. Shanghai Composite then dropping off a tenth of a percent on one percent gained then for the Hang Seng and the Nikkei to start uh, in this trading picture so far. Opening calls in Europe. Well, yesterday we saw Europe ahead uh, uh, higher than the stock 600 ending 0.7 percent to the good. In fact, uh, continuing what was positive momentum after what was the worst performance uh, since September 2022 in the month of October. We're called a lot higher than today. In fact, the FTSE MIB might be uh, the outperformer if we see the market open uh, in the same vein thus far. Karen.
1: Thank you. The U.S. Treasury Department will increase the pace of longer-duration bond issuance by less than expected in the coming quarter cutting its borrowing estimate to $776 billion, that is $76 billion less than previously expected. The department also announced it will offer a smaller-than-expected amount of longer-dated debt at its quarterly refunding auctions next week, selling $112 billion of debt compared to expectations it would match the previous quarter's $114 billion. The Duke family office CEO Stanley Druckenmiller has built what he describes as a massive bullish position on two-year Treasuries, citing nervousness over the state of the US economy. Speaking to CNBC ahead of Treasury's latest announcement, he reiterated his criticism of the department.
4: The
0: chart is frightening, it just, it just goes like this. All this stuff is ahead of us because we didn't extend the maturity of our debt. So all this debt is going to roll over in four or five years, and you're going to replace the 1% stuff with like 5%.
1: (laughs) A double line capital CEO, Jeffrey Gundlach, said the Fed's actions are hitting the U.S. bond market.
2: The higher for longer concept has a really dark underbelly to it that I think has affected the bond market over the past six or eight weeks. And that is that the interest expense on our debt is going up by hundreds of billions of dollars and it goes up every day that the fed funds rate stays at five and three-eighths percent and if the feds going to raise rates a little bit more which seems less certain than it was say perhaps the last dot plot well then we're going to have a lot of interest expense
1: Caitlin Birch has joined us, Global Economist, EIU. Caitlin, thank you very much for stepping in to speak to us this morning. Big day yesterday and the market was having a debate. It was raging early this week as to whether the biggest news was going to be around Treasury's refunding process Mm -hmm. or whether it was going to be the Fed this week. Ultimately, what do you think was the most important for investors? I think at the moment there's a lot of attention
3: and rightly so on the Treasury market. Um, The fact that we saw one trillion in borrowing in the third quarter confirmed recently is just a huge wall of treasuries coming to the market and one of the main things that was pushing yields up. um, It was interesting to look at what was happening in terms of of near-term, long-term treasuries in terms of their yields since June. The three and six month yields haven't changed really. We did have one rate hike during that period. Markets already priced it in, and they're not worried about another one. But longer term yields, two, five, ten years, have shot up 10 year yields about 40 basis points higher than they were at the beginning of June, despite the fact that policy rates really haven't moved. So it's not at the moment the policy rate level and where the peak Fed funds rate is going that's influencing the market. It's how much is the government
1: borrowing and how much do people want to buy it? It was one of the elements that found its way into the document to yesterday and into the commentary, the financial tightening and whether that's doing some of the job for the Fed But there are other complex elements here and the credit costs, obviously, the impact on consumers and businesses, as well as the job market that is just not playing by the rule book. Typically, at this point, you'd start to see some sort of craters coming through that employment market. It's just not. And the jolts yesterday telling us, again, there are more job openings. The other big feature here is the economy, Mm. which has shown us a bit of a mixed hand, I think. We had the strong growth number a week or so back, but then the ISM was showing us some weakness. So... How does the Fed think about these other complex moving pieces at this point?
3: I mean, the Fed never has an easy job, <laughs> but this year has been particularly challenging because the data has been so conflicting. It really is fighting itself in terms of showing where the U.S. economy is going. Still super strong consumer spending, which I think largely is down to that very strong jobs market and the fact that wage growth has more or less kept up with inflation. And then households have a huge cushion of kind of pandemic-era savings that they've gradually spent down, but there's been a lot to rely on there. So the consumer story is is certainly positive. On the manufacturing side, that ISM index has looked pretty pretty poor for a long time. The sector has more or less been in decline for the last 11 months.
1: Pace change matters, though, 49 prior month, 46.7. That is a fairly significant step down in yeah. a four-week period. Yeah, and we haven't seen any real improvement in terms
3: of new orders coming in. Now, that slowdown has helped to ease some of the snarls that were a real issue and causing more inflationary pressure last year. So we've seen input prices starting to fall between the backlog of orders. Being worked through, so manufacturing's at a better place to rebound when demand recovers, but it's not really there yet. So it's the weaker side of the equation. Investment in manufacturing, on the other hand, is is really soaring ahead and helping growth overall.
0: I may have read a little bit too much into uh, the aspects of one upgrading their assessment on the U.S. economy um, because it kind of gives a clear sense that you could be looking at future hikes then how much how much risk of that do you think there is then because yes while the con- the data is conflicting i mean aim still needs to be that inflation number
3: yeah it's definitely a possibility i've seen a lot kind of in the last 12 hours to say, oh, the Fed's done, the Fed's done. We do also think the Fed is done, most likely, but because we think there'll be further softening in economic conditions. If that's not the case, if consumers keep powering ahead, if inflation does tick back up, remember, again, we're going to see more external pressure, especially from energy prices in the course of the next few months. Um, The Fed is certainly keeping all of its options on the table. And I would would put a lot of stock in what Powell says when he says, yes, we've paused twice, but don't count us out. I mean, you saw
0: third quarter GDP, 4.9%, right? Pretty strong still. You had yesterday's private payrolls number coming out as well. Yes, the anticipation or the the number on that one was, what, 115-odd? It's lower than anticipated, but still higher than the 89,000 that you saw the previous month. So I'm just wondering here if the need for a recession is greater now in order to try and get things a little bit lower. Do they does the US economy actually need a recession now? I mean, nobody wants one, but no. they might need one.
3: But it seems like we are powering ahead. And I think it all comes down to inflation, you know. If we do see a strong labor market and again growth is is so high as you said, if inflation does play ball and come down get closer to if not exactly at 2% we could still maybe eke out of it. I think that soft landing picture isn't totally out of our grasp now, but it is getting less and less likely as it looks like that pressure is building, the demand side pressure is still there. And then we have occasional supply side shocks, like will we see another jump in oil prices that just is a fly in the ointment. Um, so there are a lot of risks building. Again, I, I wouldn't get rid of that soft landing oh. forecast just yet, but it, yeah, it gets less likely by the day, I suppose. Yeah, it
0: just feels like it's getting tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. Creating this needle is getting a little more difficult. Calen, appreciate yeah. the time though this morning. Thank you so much for joining us around the, the desk as well. Then Kaylin Birch is global economist at EIU. Now the Bank of England is next up, due to release its latest decision within hours. It's widely expected then to keep rates on hold. That will certainly be then at a 15-year high. A quick look at sterling. We've been speaking just about how uh, the dollar has lost a little bit of momentum, but we're headed towards 121.80 thus far as we head towards that interest rates decision. Uh, Into the gilt market then, this is what we're looking like uh, at present then for those UK yields. Uh, The 10-year they're sitting at 4.488 thus far as we head towards that decision still. We had seen a little bit of weakness when it comes to the yield thus far. Um, FTSE 100, though, um, the market yesterday uh, did seem stronger across a lot of Europe. And then the FTSE 100 also playing in line with that this year, though. uh, The FTSE 100 is down 1.5%. Let's bring Jumana in to this one. Jumana, this is going to be another one of those days. Perhaps the weather outside (laughs) playing some sort of part in how difficult and turbulent the situation <laughs> is as opposed in the UK. Difficult choices to make, maybe not so much on whether to hike or not, mm. but more so on things like QT, the balance sheet, all of mm. those other issues wreaking havoc.
5: Yeah, I think um, of course the definitely there's gonna be focused on QT, but let me just start with the decision itself. Yeah. Because if you remember the Bank of England surprise markets by not hiking at the prior meeting, they went for keeping rates unchanged at 5.25% was the split, which tells you that the governor himself was the deciding vote. He himself did not opt for a rate hike at the last meeting. Going into today, there's only about 5% probability of a rate hike priced in. The analyst community are leaning towards a 6-3, possibly 7-2 split towards unchanged. Now, if you look at the recent data, of course, we've been keeping a close eye on what's been happening with inflation. The September headline inflation prints came in at 6.7 percent unchanged versus the prior month. So a small hawkish surprise. But, and the but is crucial here, the trajectory is still downwards. And that is what the Bank of England want to see. In justifying their their reason for not hiking rates at the last meeting, they said that they have to weigh up two things. The first is, the risk of not tightening enough in the face of persistent inflationary pressures. The other risk is not taking enough consideration or taking, putting enough weight on the cumulative amount of existing rate hikes that they've already introduced. And now it's becoming a lot more finely balanced. And so going from here onwards, it is unlikely they will hike further unless we get a huge hawkish surprise out of these inflation prints. But there's gonna be a lot of focus on these economic forecasts. Because if you look at what's happened in the last couple of months, Oil prices are higher. We've been talking about that. Gas prices are higher. The pound is a lot weaker and their forecasting rate assumptions are lower. The terminal rate is only priced for five and a quarter percent versus six percent back in August. So they will likely have to upgrade their inflation expectations. All of this together means we're probably going to get a hawkish pause.
1: It's just tiny the level of growth right priced in half of a percent year over year this year and next year and then by the time we get to 2025 just 0.3 percent i mean i know there might be revisions to yeah. the upside if we get a lower bank
5: rate but still that's barely any growth to play with here. I think that is exactly it, Karen, because we talk about the Feds yesterday and I was watching the press conference and I was thinking to myself, I mean, the UK would be in a much better position if our own GDP levels were tracking where US GDP is right now. We don't have that liberty. And we've also got headline inflation that's you know, significantly above where the US inflation rate is tracking, which is why people are beginning to talk now, not just about how long rates are gonna be on hold for, but when the timing of the first rate cut is gonna happen. very interesting to see his messaging on whether he pushes back or endorses what the market is pricing in. the market is only pricing in one cut for all of next year but if the data continues to get worse you could imagine that more, more and more rate cuts will be priced in for 2024.
1: versus what, the 85 basis points priced into the U.S. now. Exactly. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Jamana, thank you very much for setting the scene for us. And just on a quick programming note, uh, Jamana and Juliana will be breaking the BOE decision at midday today, GMT, before we carry Governor Andrew Bailey's press conference later in the hour. And then, of course, we've got Jamana's one-on-one interview with the Governor at 4 p.m. So it'll be a big Bank of England day today. <laughs> Busy one. Yeah.
0: Well, coming up on the show, one of Europe's biggest companies' reports will break down the latest earnings from Novo Nordisk this hour. And we speak to the CFO later in the morning. Plus, signs of divergence at the UK's AI Safety Summit. Arjun has been speaking to policymakers and top executives and joins us live from the event. But first... The earnings just keep coming. The CEO of the Deco Group will join us to break down the company's results. That's right after this short break.
1: Swiss recruiter Deco Group has reported better-than-expected net profit in the third quarter, down 4% on the year to €103 million, Euros, but well above the €82 million Euros analysts have been expecting. Meanwhile, sales fell just 1% to just under €6 billion, Euros in line with expectations. Coram Williams joins us, the CFO of the ADECO Group. Coram, thank you so much for joining us today on Numbers. Just want to get into the detail here. It feels as though there's been some slippage from the second quarter to the third quarter on the organic revenue side and on the various different business lines. Is this just a reflection of the cooling off that we've seen in the broader labour market?
4: Well, so good morning, Karen. Um, just, Just to be clear, our underlying growth on the top line was actually 3%. Uh, And we took significant market share again this quarter, we're 935 Basis points ahead of the competition, ahead of our peer group. That's the fifth consecutive quarter that we've taken share. And to the point in your introduction, as we work down the PL, we're ahead of expectations at every step. So our gross margin was healthy at 20.8%. We had strong productivity gains of 6%. Uh, our SGNA, which is part of our GNA savings program, has come down from 17.5 to 17. And as a result, our margin has gone up by 40 basis points to 4% so we're actually very happy with what we're doing in a you know fairly, fairly challenging macroeconomic environment
1: Certainly some positives in the numbers, Coram, and I thought the market share gains were certainly a standout here. As you reported, uh, the effective of relative revenue growth of 930 basis points, the market share gains, how difficult is that going to be achieved at this point? As we know that the labour market isn't as strong as it was, it's still strong, but not quite to the same point. Will those market share gains be more difficult to achieve from here?
4: Well, I think there are a couple of points here in terms of the labor markets, the the wider macroeconomic environment is, uh, is challenging, but labor markets still have talent scarcity, have very low unemployment rates. You're seeing wage inflation as a result of that, which is continuing right now. So despite the wider economic environment, actually the markets for what we provide as services continue to remain reasonably strong. I think the other point is that know we are a big player we have five six percent market share of the of the total market there's a fragmentation which allows us to take continue to take share even in difficult markets and the reason we're doing it is because we've invested in the business over the last 18 months to really make sure we are positioned to identify the talent that our clients needs and to and to meet those needs so we think we can continue to take share that is absolutely our objective
0: uh Coram, good morning to you then have your rigorous rigorous uh cost discipline measures begun to perhaps bear fruit and i mean what's the what's the target still for the remainder of the year for the whole year then is is it still sitting at 135 million euros
4: so i mean we are we're really driving two things in terms of costs so where we've invested on selling expenses, we're driving productivity, and that's part of where we're getting the share gains. And actually year on year in the quarter, our productivity is up 6%, and every part of the business has contributed to that. So we're very pleased about the productivity on the sales resources. On the g on the general and administrative expenses, we announced a program earlier in the year where we would deliver 150 million of savings by the middle of 2024 versus the 2022 base. And you see the benefits of that really flowing through in the P&L this quarter, because we've got 24 million of savings and our percentage of costs as a percentage of sales has come down from 17.5 to 17 So we're absolutely confident we can deliver that 150 by the middle of next year. And as a result, we're upgrading our expectations for the end of this year. So previously, we said we'd have a run rate of about 60 million. We're now saying we'll be at 90 million. So I think to your point, the cost savings program is very much on track. Mm. And what about wage growth expectations? If I can talk about just
0: a broader environment then for the remainder of the year, just For example, you are still seeing things like wage inflation, particularly in the U.S. perhaps come down a little bit, your your wage expectations.
4: Well, you know, what we've seen in in the third quarter is that there is wage inflation across the board, so uh, across a number of countries in all of our businesses, it's running somewhere in the low to mid single digit range as an average across the group. In the countries where you have less heavily regulated labour markets, so for example the US and the UK, it's actually running higher than that. It's slowed a little bit but it's still very much there and it's a feature of the talent scarcity that we see in those markets. Very low unemployment rates, demand for certain skills, that drives the scarcity which in turn drives expectations on wages. So you know, we are certainly expecting that to continue through in the in the fourth quarter. And I think those, that talent scarcity will continue into next year, which will likely drive wage
1: inflation. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? We're still talking about talent scarcity at this point in the macroeconomic cycle, Coram. Can I ask you, though, about another feature in the numbers, which was the IT tech? area where you've seen a fade and that is from France to North America to Northern Europe where you've seen some softness and at the end of the market as they've had the message from some of the sponsors to cut back. Just when do you think you might see a turn in that technology cycle?
4: Well, I think, I think we have to look back a little bit as to what happened because, you know, if we, if, we, if we remind ourselves what happened during COVID, there was a huge surge in terms of the recruitment Uh, in IT and big tech. And then post-lockdowns, as consumer habits changed again, I think you saw a little bit of a realignment. Now, it doesn't mean that those big tech players are not still very strong, they are very strong. It's just they're probably over-recruited during that period. And we're still seeing um, the effect on our business because the demand for labor in those sectors is a bit more muted than it has been. I think the underlying prospects for that sector uh, going forwards, though, will be strong. But but for a period of time, I think we're still dealing with this rebalancing post-Covid that we've seen in the big tech sector.
1: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
0: For more
4: market moving news,
0: you can head to
4: CNBC.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.